Okay, we're rolling. You're listening to episode 8 of the Massive Attack Podcast. With me as always is Joe. Hey Mitch, how you going? I'm good, and I'm Mitch as Joe just said. We are here, we'll talk news, but we are the first instalment of our cult movie challenge. You can look forward to later. Yeah, well we've probably got a fair bit to discuss about our cult movie challenge, but before we get to that, we've got a few other things we need to have a little bit of a chat about. We've had a month since we last recorded, and in that time I think both of us have actually finished a game. Which yes, is, we have. Yeah. Well, and, I think I was playing what, Call of Duty 2... Or did I just finish that? No, you mentioned on last month's show that you were playing it. Well, I finished it. It was all right. It was, it was good to finish something. I mean, that was the thing. It was um, not an achievement. Yeah, so I finished that, and then I started... Captain America, maybe? Captain America, that's the one. That was cool. I thought it would be nice and quick and easy, and reading some websites that said it should take three to four, so naturally I played Don Baby, and it still took me nine. But that's all right. I don't mind. It was fun. It was like Wolverine. I remember that being the poor man's Batman Arkham Asylum, but it was a fun game to play. And Captain America, same thing. It was fun. The mechanics were good. You know, it was better than Thor because I finished it. Did it run on the Unreal Engine? Yes. So I mean, every now and then he, like, walks slowly and puts yes. his hand to his ear? Yeah. Didn't put the hand to the ear, but yes, he did walk slowly while people talked to him on the radio. Yeah, it looked great. Had some good game mechanics, like with Sorry, the shield. Game mechanics? Game mechanics. Sorry, yeah. I you said game mechanics. Yeah. Well, may have them in there. There's some mechanics <laughs> in But no, it was, it was fun. You enjoyed it more than Thor. Well, I finished it. Yeah. That says a lot. <laughs> well, maybe, I can't remember if I was playing Thor on Baby or not. I'm tempted to go back and see if I didn't maybe do it again and just get it done. Because I enjoyed Thor for what it was. Like, it was interesting level design. It was just really bad, repetitive gameplay where it's like, I don't want to do this again. Yeah. That was hard last time. I don't want to have to do it again. It takes 10 minutes to beat a boss and then you've you die in the last second or you don't know how long it is and then you've got to do it again and that sort of stuff and that was getting annoying it's like I'm not getting anywhere it was the same thing with Borderlands it was like why I'm not playing and I'm not enjoying so I'm not going to keep moving forward so that's why I want to play something simple but I kind of came to that realisation earlier in the year when prior to that I was kind of playing to gain achievements and then I realised that I shouldn't be playing for achievements I should be playing to finish games and I went back and I, I'd been playing the Conan game which and, you hated well I did hate because I was playing it on a too hard a level I think and then I went back and I played it on Baby and I managed to finish it almost in one day and it's probably one of the things that I haven't done for a long time since I've been married and had kids but the wife was away for a weekend with the boys so I sat there pretty much from the minute I got up in the morning to when I went to bed and got all the way from the start to the very final boss but then when I got to the boss I was a bit too tired so I had to go to bed and strangely once I finished that game I traded it in and then just last week they had it on sale on Games On Demand for like four dollars so i bought it again sucker and i think when i tried to do it i only got two dollars for the discs <laughs> <laughs> i made a bit of a loss well there's enough copies out there i can you probably pick it up for four bucks anyway yeah exactly I, I think i only paid like five bucks for it when i originally bought it and so buying it for five bucks finishing it and trading it in like a year later and getting you know two dollars or a dollar back that's not a bad investment no but they also, on the Games On Demand sale, they had Prince of Persia, The Forgotten Sands. And I picked that up as well for four ninety five, I think it was. And I finished that too. So I can say that I've finished a game in the last month, which hasn't happened for a long time. That's a full disc game that's available online? Or is yeah, it actually it, an online game? Only? No, it's not like an arcade game. So it's a full six gig download so it, was, it took a while to download but yeah it's full game same as it would be if, if you had the disc it's the full so it's a download only though you can't buy it on disc no you can't buy it on oh, disc oh you can so it is yeah so it, it basically it's an older game I think it came out two three years ago and got some pretty good reviews when it came out I don't think it follows the story of the other Prince of Persia games though because there's been so many reboots of Prince of Persia it's hard to follow what's in line with the other games uh, it's a self-contained story you start off you're in this big sort of citadel trying to find your brother and fighting bad guys and i think it's probably the genre that i relate to best is the third person action adventure there's puzzle solving there's like jumping puzzles swinging from you know vines and jumping to curtains and stuff like that and killing bad guys and leveling up different weapons and different special special like abilities in america then i will lend yeah. it to you well, when you when you were talking about Captain America, I was like, oh, that sounds a bit like Prince of Persia. So, yeah, maybe I should borrow it. So, you started anything new? Uh, no. Surprisingly, I've finished Prince of Persia last week, and since then, I think I've been on the Xbox a couple of times and played a little bit of Pinball Effects, but haven't really started anything. I just don't know what to start. Like, I've got so many games there, I just don't really know what I should be playing, which is a shame. 
Although the uh, the new Tony Hawk HD reboot was meant to come out today and I was trying to get a demo of that, but it wasn't available when we started recording. So I might have to try that later tonight or to see else. if it's available. Winter slash Summer Arcade. Yeah, but... This is week one, Tony Hawk. Out of the other games that are in the Summer of Arcade, Winter of Arcade for us in the Southern Hemisphere, there wasn't really anything that stood out. I mean, Trials would never have stuck out when you first looked at it. Oh, I and think it, it sort did. of came out going, oh, wow, this is an amazing game. Some things, and like, what was last year? Limbo? No, Limbo was the year before. Okay. But they sort of, you on paper, you would have thought, maybe not, but they sort of... Creepers, yeah. Winter of Arcades or Summer of Arcades. Well, I bought Limbo when it was on sale at Christmas time, I think it was, not during the Summer of Arcade, and that was 600 points rather than 1,200 points. And I still haven't finished it, despite the fact that everyone says it's a five-hour game. But that's us. Yes, well, I'm just letting people know I have broken my rule of, like, the problem of playing bad games, even though it's comic-related, is not a good idea because it stops you enjoying games. I did start Hellboy Science of Evil, which is not a good game at all. Like, Thor at least was kind of fun for a while, until I got to some bad level bosses. Yeah, Hellboy is not good, but apparently it should only last three hours. So um, I'm working my way through. Yeah, why I started that, I have no idea. I had so many other AAA titles sitting there to be played. And it's like, no, no, I'm going to give this a go because it cost me $3.50. That's going to be money well spent. So, yes. Just on a side note, do you think going to websites like How Long To Beat is a bad thing? Because I kind of look at it as the fact that I'll feel like gaming and then I'll look at something and think, oh, that's going to take me too long. Maybe I shouldn't play that right now. Kind of. Well, How Long To Beat, if you don't know, is a website where you go and it's got a list of games and it tells you it's got to sort of people submit how long it takes for them to finish the game, like completest finish level or extra side missions speed runs as well yeah and you get a medium you get a quickest the longest and a medium time so you always look at the longest or medium for me as far as how long it's going to take me so I mean it's good if I'm thinking looking forward about what I'm going to play going oh I don't want a long game I don't want a 60 hour game or something so if I go in there and I see 13 hours it's like yeah I can live with that that's good so for me it's good because it sort of helps me make a decision but then you know when I get in there and I've already gone four hours over the mean time and I'm starting to crank over the longest time I'm thinking well, I'm a terrible gamer but yeah. oh, it doesn't affect me too badly okay yeah because I know I've got Red Dead Redemption plus I've got the Undead Nightmare DLC for it as well and I really should be playing that because everyone raves about how good it is but the fact that it will be such a long game is what's putting me off starting it I was like, I've got I've got Mass Effect and it's probably one of my favourite gaming experiences of the last 12 months that's Mass Effect 1 yes I'm slow and I've got two sitting there and there's no reason I can't jump in going let's get there and let's do three and let's see what all the hoo-ha's about but yeah, yeah. That, that whole time thing Yeah. but I loved it when I was in it so there's no reason why I can't go in there and play it but yeah. I, I like we've talked back to episode 1 it's the pile of shame going well if I could churn through some of these quicker games and get rid of them yeah, exactly. I can then guilt-free go into some of the longer ones. Well, that's what I kind of liked about Prince of Persia, the fact that <coughs> it was a short game, but it also had the ability that you could pretty much save at any checkpoint, and the checkpoints were quite close together. They were like you know, five, ten minutes between checkpoints. Because I know back when I was playing Bayonetta, I didn't like the fact that you had to get to the end of the level before you could save. And some of the levels are half hour, 45 minutes. I and sometimes, yeah, sometimes you just don't have that time available to you. I didn't know. It's Bayonetta right chance through. I think it might have been in Christmas time, like a holidays or something. Yeah. So I played that very close together with Dante's Inferno, which is a very similar game, and I just managed to churn through those. So I think it might have been on holidays, which may have made it a little bit easier. Hmm. Well, Mitch, other than gaming, what have you been up to lately? Seeing a lot of films. You did go and see Amazing Spider-Man, though, didn't you? I did, and it's good. Yeah. Like, it's a really good Spider-Man film. Unfortunately... We've had one recently, so it's it's weird. Like, if this was the first Spider-Man film, we'd be wasting lyrically about it. We're, mm. We'd be saying it's fantastic, it's great, it's this, it's that. But we've sort of seen it all. It's it's good. It's everything the original movie didn't have is in this one. But I can't not recommend it. Like, it's very good. There's nothing wrong with it. I just don't didn't come away like Avengers or when the first time I saw Spider-Man or when I saw Batman Begins, I didn't come away going, oh, this is a new thing. Yeah, well, it's, it's an origin story, isn't it? Yes. So it's one of those things where you know the origin of Spider-Man because you... But do you? Well, oh, true. There's more aspects that we didn't know. So they're, oh, okay. they're adding more mystery to it in a way. There's some hokey science, which is fine. A friend of mine, Dave, he actually... He did a review with He said the Sam Raimi movies were very much Stan Lee Spider-Man, where this is more 
a Brian Michael Bendis Ultimate Spider-Man. Oh, okay. So it's a bit more modern where the other one is it. And I think that's part of the charm of the original Raimi one is the fact that it felt it felt it had that nostalgia sort yeah. of feel and it felt big and comic booky but fun. But this one's a little more grounded. Not a lot. It's still a comic book movie. Yeah. But the dialogue's a little more witty. Like he quips a lot more in this than he did in the other movies, which is good. Do you think it's trying to maybe be like the Avengers and the Whedon sort of wittiness? No, well, Spider-Man's always been funny. Well, that's like true. he's always been quippy, and that was one of the complaints I would have had with the original films: is you don't get enough Spider-Manisms because the comics are good for you know you can have him swinging through Manhattan, and you just have these thought balloons of him being all witty. Yeah. But you know when you don't see an actor's face in Hollywood, it's weird. It's your distance from that character because it's the mask. You're not seeing the actor. That's why constantly the mask come off. Like in, especially in the other one, is you had Green Goblin's visor coming up all the time to see Willem Dafoe's face because yeah. for a while there, you've got a guy in a mask talking to a guy in a mask. There's just nothing. There's no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you're, and you're paying big money to get name actors. You need to show their faces. See their faces. Yeah, so it's it's hard. So there's a lot of more Peter Parker and. Those sort of things. So, I mean, again, you get a lot more Peter Parker in this than Spidey, but it's, it's hard. I mean, I sound like I'm not liking it, but uh, go see it. Go see the pictures. I'm, I'm tempted to see it again in 3D because it looked really cool, but I saw it in 2D. And there's some sequences I wouldn't mind seeing in 3D. But, yeah, it, it's good, but it's not raving. But Batman opens in a couple of days, once the Dark Knight Rises, and the review the reviews are coming out now, and everyone is raving about it. So, so I'm actually, like... Actually, by the time this episode posts, I think it, will it would be have out. been released. So um, I wasn't excited. Like, Avengers, I was excited, and after I saw it, it made me even less excited for Dark Knight Rises because the hype of the last one, I've gone back and it's not, I didn't like it that much. It's good, and there's a great performance by Heath Ledger and things like that, but the hype of the movie was bigger than the movie, I think. Do you think, though, if Heath Ledger hadn't have died, that the performance it wouldn't was still have been good? Well, I don't know. I, I think, yeah, his performance was excellent, yeah. especially the scene where he blows up the hospital yeah. and he's dressed as the nurse. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the people will still be talking about that, yeah. the Joker. Like, I mean, I think the performance was enough. The pre-hype, maybe not so much, mm. but it's a good film. But after seeing The Avengers, it was such a fun film. Yeah. I was thinking about Batman going, I'm just going to be bummed out at the end of that. And I'm reading reviews and it's near on three hours. Oh, okay. So it's going to be huge. But the reviews are good, which mm. I was sort of worried. The trailers were coming out early and you had Bane and you couldn't understand him. And the last one, Christian Bale's with his voice, you know, the whoa, whoa. You know, yeah. his barking voice, it was just a bit much. And I was like, oh, but okay. sounding good. Well, so he's hoping. Well, I'd say probably by the next time we record, we would have hopefully seen it. we would have seen it. And, well, I know you definitely would have seen it. I don't know, don't know about me. But, You'll um, for the hype. Yeah, by the time we've next recorded, I think we'll probably do a bit more of a discussion on Batman. And hopefully there'll be a Superman trailer, which I can talk about. Because I think I've mentioned before in the podcast, I'm a bit of a Superman fan. And if we look around the room we're in right now, which is my yes. Krypton lounge, which is very wanky, I know. Which is just my bungalow chock full of my a lot of my Superman stuff. Yeah, so he's hoping... I, the only thing I've seen is the poster they revealed at Comic-Con last weekend. And I read a synopsis of some footage that Zack Snyder showed. And they said it's a bit darker. So I think there's a bit of a Nolan-inspiredness going on and I don't know maybe it was just the, the texture of the suit in that photo I didn't really like oh, well, the look of it we've seen the photos from the suit like over the last 12 months yeah bits, so that's, that's a bit more close up the last one had a texture did it he had texture in the suit he had a little Superman logo texture in there yeah well at least he didn't have plastic nipples like uh, <laughs> was it Val Kilmer's Batman was it no I think he may or have but George Clooney's Batman has he the definitely had nipples. it yes mm. oh well that's something we can look forward to yeah. the movie not plastic nipples wow well, and speaking of Comic-Con, well, Comic-Con was just on in the US, the real Comic-Con, but mm -hmm. you actually ventured out to the Australian version mm -hmm. of Comic-Con just recently. Melbourne Comic-Con. I did, which I wasn't happy at the time. <laughs> like, I mean, it was sort of funny because we have Supernova and Armageddon here and they are pop culture expos, similar to a Comic-Con. Quite small. You probably get about 15, 20,000 people over a weekend and it's held at the Melbourne Exhibition Centre or at the showgrounds. And they're, they're fine. They bring out their comic guests and their animation voice actors and actors. Yeah. So a good variety and it's, ne it's never super packed. Like you can move and it's all pretty comfortable. Yeah. Cosplays, a lot of cosplayers, a lot of anime cosplayers, a lot of anime fans. And it's, it's fun. It's good. I don't yeah, do the two days. Well, but I've only been to one Armageddon and it was a good mix. It was comic guys there. They had uh, Nicholas Brendan, is that his name, from Buffy was there, yes. stealing people's chips. And <laughs> <laughs> I think we may have mentioned that on the podcast. Yeah. And yeah, there was a bit of a mix. There was comics, there was wrestling, there was movies, there was a lot of sci-fi, there was fantasy, whereas... 
Comic Con was well, it had been more comics as well, but they they really sort of they seem to have embraced the comic more. Like this is the thing they got. Patrick Stewart, which is a big draw as a guest, and they got Stanley, which which is was probably amazing. the biggest draw. It's like, and they've been advertising this for twelve months, and it's like there is no way on earth he's coming. Like this cons are notorious; they'll name a guest. Wrestling shows do the same. They'll yep. say, "Oh, this person's coming." Can't say Asterix. Change. <laughs> Asterix, depending on, we can change it at any point, yep. essentially, and that's fine because. A lot of the actors are coming out and they don't want to go to Melbourne for a Comic Con. They would love to be working on the next Citizen Kane. Yeah. You know, they're actors. This is what they do for a job. But they've figured out a way to supplement their income, get a free holiday and maybe make some cash. So they'll do these cons and they'll agree to it. But a lot of them, yeah, if they get a gig, they'll take it. So... They're not, they won't stay committed to these Yeah, exactly. You, would, you wouldn't give up a movie just to come to a con. No. So, so there's always that subject, subject to change. And with Stan Lee going, it's a good draw, but the guy's 90. There is no way he's flying halfway across the world yeah. to come to a freaking con in Australia. And I just thought, it's never going to happen. And I thought, also, I don't want it to happen. I don't want to be the reason Stanley dies. Because I thought, <laughs> if, if he does make it, he, he may not survive it. So they had all these pre-sale tickets, you know, uh, Excelsior ticket or something where you paid extra money and you got a guaranteed photo and VIP to his talks and, you know, front of line of his signatures and things like that. And it's like, I'm not going to give you money. He's not going to come. I'm not going to give you money because you're just going to get interest on that money and yeah. I'll get it back later and it'll just be a waste. There's no way you're going to get me. The fucker turned up, didn't he? He did. He did. He made it. And I heard he, for some reason, he couldn't fly the day he was meant to get here. So he was meant to get here on the Thursday night or the Friday. The con was Saturday and Sunday. He ended up flying in Saturday morning, did at the con, signed 2,000 autographs on the Saturday, did the same on the Sunday. And went home. The guy is freaking 90. He is a freaking legend. So pretty much he came straight from the airport to the con. From what I can gather, this is what I've been told. It's like, all right, you are the man, Stan. I mean, that is awesome. Thank you very much. The trouble with the con, because Stan did turn up, like I was still sceptical. I went to the con and I thought, well, I'm going to get there early. And I never sign up for autographs and things like that. Because you've got to queue up to get a token to get an autograph or a photo with the stars yep. and then you go and queue up and have your photo or the autograph and it's like I've never done that I never like an actor enough that I'm going to pay $40 for a photo or an autograph with them because it's yep. just I don't get it but Stan Lee I sort of had a change of heart going well it's Stan Lee he created these things it's not an actor this what? is a guy who created all this stuff it's like if I could get an autograph or anything that would be a bloody awesome thing to have so was he signing whatever you took there or though yeah. or was he he just providing his own signature type stuff. No, no, no. I mean, you could get your photo and therefore get the photo signed. Yep. Or you, they were selling prints. Or you could, if you had a copy of Amazing Fantasy 15, you could have got him to sign it. Yeah, because I know I've been to wrestling shows and signings and stuff like that where you had to buy the 8x10 and then they sign that. They wouldn't sign anything else. Yeah, but, but you're then... buying the 8x10 that signatures for free, technically. Yeah. So what you're buying is a signature token. Oh, so okay. you can go up to the line and say, I want three things signed. So you buy three signature tokens. Yeah. So it's 120 oh, okay. bucks. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it depends what you want and how. I just wanted one. I would have loved to have done it and thanked the man. I said, thank you very much. You know, yeah. He's one of the reasons I'm into comics because if it wasn't for him, we who knows what comics will be like now. Yeah, exactly. They might be still as popular, might be better, might be worse, but the fact that the Marvel Universe is because of him, it would have been good. So, doors opened at nine. I got in there about quarter past nine. I dropped a friend off because the queue was big. So I said, you go, I'm going to park the car. So, by the time I parked the car in Crown and got over there, she was still in the queue. I was like, is this a queue to buy tickets or is this a queue to get in? Oh, we'd already pre-bought tickets. And it's like, no, this is the pre-bought tickets line. And we were outside. So, it was probably a good 400 meter queue by this point. I was like, oh. So, so we took a 45 minutes at least to get into the venue. And then it's like, let's go get our tokens. So we went to where the token booth was and then followed the queue from the token booth, which snaked throughout the exhibition center through in between all the exhibitors. And it took us probably 25 minutes to get to the end of the queue because we couldn't find the bloody thing. We're following it. <laughs> we ended up going around in a circle at one point going, haven't we been here already? And then yeah. we got to the end of the queue there. And finally the staff was sort of saying, yeah, this is the end of the queue. We had no idea if that was true or not. We could have been in a circle of a queue that no one else knew. And <laughs> we ended up having a queue behind us looking for the end of the queue because there were that many people following us and there was that many people cramped into this small space. It was very annoying. But yeah, it, it was frustrating. And then, I mean, as we're in the queue, they said, no more photos for Stan. So you, you missed a photo? I missed a photo. And Did then, you get a signature? No. 
And then uh, again, and about 45 minutes later in the queue, they said no more autographs for Stan. But I was waiting with my friend because she wanted a Patrick Stewart photo and a few other things, and they were all still available. Oh, okay. Stan was gone. So I didn't get that. But while I was in the queue, it snaked past the Stanley booth, and he was doing signing. So I actually got to see him there. And Patrick Stewart walked up, and they did a press photo with those two, oh, okay. like with their arms around each other. And I got to see that live. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. You know, so it wasn't all bad but you got to hear him talk though didn't you, you i did so he did have a panel and there's the panel rooms were only so big and a lot of people wanted to go into it and we sort of turned up there and they said oh there's a queue it goes back there and we're like oh and i was there with a couple of friends at this point it's like we'll get in we'll we'll just yeah fudge our way and we got to the sort of the end of the queue and they put a cut off of the queue and it's like they said oh this is the end this is the cutoff it's like how do you know like based on what there's like a mass of people you haven't counted heads and yeah. everything and other people just cut in and oh, maybe that. there so was someone with one of those little clicker things there was no clicker the... things yeah. so we got in anyway like we sort of jumped in the back when the when it got past the bit where she said no more when it got past us we just joined the back of that and, oh, okay. and we got in and that was fine we had to stand there was no seats left but yep. yeah we got to see stand talk for for an hour and it was quite funny because he was doing his talks and he threw the questions out to the audience and someone asked how'd you come up with the idea for spider-man and it's sort of like if anyone's been a fan of marvel comics or comics in general in the last 20 years they would have read it somewhere yeah, exactly because it's it's out there but to his credit it actually is a good question to ask because stan is a wonderful showman and he's told this story for 40 50 years so he's got it down pat so it was quite funny hearing him tell the story live yeah. In that way. Do you think it was a plant question, though, just so he could say it? Um, I don't think so. It sounded like a bit of a tool who asked it. But oh, okay. Maybe, I mean, one, there was another tool who asked a question about, oh, you know, did you listen to these radio plays back in the 30s or something and rattled off a bunch of these pulp characters and read these, listen to these, or read these pulp books in the day and rattle off the spider and the spirit and all these sort of things. And okay. It was almost, oh, you're trying to have a connection with him or are you trying to call him out? that he stole all the ideas from the pop because <laughs> he pretty much did. Yeah. And Stan, Stan's awesome. He's like, absolutely, I read those. I love those. And just rattled all this shit. He was good. Like, yeah. it was worth seeing him for that. I, I came away. If I didn't get in to see that, I probably would have been very disappointed with the day. So, all in all, moving on a couple of weeks. At the time, I was bitter and angry at the organisers because a lot of these people, they do it. They want to hang out with these guests. Yeah. You know, they have a dinner with them beforehand and they hang out and they get all this cash because they milk all the money they can out of all the exactly. punters who pay. And they don't really... Gi- I mean, technically they are giving to the fans by bringing these people out, but they're taking, fleecing a lot of it. And the fact that they're a bit skint on the room, they should have gone an extra bay yep. just for the space. But admittedly, they wouldn't have known they were going to get so many people. They had to shut the doors. Oh, like, okay. we got in because they shut the doors at, like, um, 11.30 because too many people. And there was still a queue a kilometre long outside, apparently, to get in. So. Okay. They they did amazingly well, like for getting interested. Yep. Now they lost a lot of goodwill by the way it was run. Getting Stan and Patrick Stewart are big names. If they did it again, they need to get some big names to follow up. Otherwise, people might second guess coming back again. Yep. But if they pull a name, I don't know if there are any names bigger than Patrick Stewart and Stan Lee. But either get the extra bay and make it bigger and more comfortable, or you know, get your well, staff a little bit. Patrick more, Stewart more and Stan Lee have that cross sort of cross cultural appeal, whereas. If they maybe got like a big name comic writer, if they got like or an artist, some Grant Morrison, someone like that, mm. they might get a. Oh, a Grant crowd. Morrison wouldn't pull the numbers for standard, and Neil Gaiman may maybe. pull some good yeah. numbers, but no one, no one's Stanley. No. Patrick Stewart's big. If you can get Shatner or Mark Hamill, which you'll never do. Yeah. You know, they're the sort of names that you're looking at. You know. Yeah, but you'd never get them here in Australia, no. though, would you? Oh, I've heard rumours that Mark Hamill likes in Australia. has never been asked. But I've also yeah. heard that if you want Luke Skywalker, yeah, you I've pay money. If you want the Joker from Batman, he's a lot cheaper. So depending how you bill him yeah. and what you want. So he's a fan. Like, he made his little quirky, you know, impro movie comic book the movie yeah so he goes to comic con every year he loves it so i reckon you could get mark hammer it's got to you got to pony up some cash but i'm exactly. um, stanley wouldn't have been cheap and patrick stewart wouldn't have been cheap so i reckon they could pony up for luke skywalker or Maybe. mark hamill, hamill. comic wise there is no name yeah. as big as stanley with, with the previous star trek conventions i know they've had jonathan frakes has been out here for one of them and gates mcfadden was out here yeah but they're not the different sort of cons. Like this is an expo comic yeah. con. They were sort of intimate nights with. So they get an auditorium. You pay a hundred and something dollars. You go. You sit down. You listen to them talk for two hours. Then you have a photo and signing session. Yeah. And that's it. So it's kind of different. Yeah. The fact I've heard they got like forty over forty thousand people through the door over the two days, which is huge numbers. You look at that at twenty five bucks a head plus yeah. all the stall holders and this and that. They're doing okay. So they could afford Mark Hamill. Oh, and I reckon okay. they if they want to build on the goodwill and what they're doing now, you've got to go for a name like that. 
yeah. if you want to build. Otherwise, you go, no, 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 we got to pair it back and build up again. You don't need to go that big. But good luck to them. I'm not as angry at them now as I was at the time. It was just such an uncomfortable day. Yeah. But they did it. They said they were going to bring Stanley. They did. They did all this stuff. All the stall holders are wrapped. I've talked to a couple of them. All Star Comics had a booth there and they were very happy with the weekend. And I thought it would be bad for the stall holders because the queues were going through the area so much that people couldn't get through the queue to get to a stall. But all the people in the queues had time in front of a stall to have a look. While they were still queuing. Yeah, so apparently very good. So a lot of people are happy. Yeah, I think the initial, like, go and read the Facebook page. It's pretty nasty and damning some of the comments on it, like hundreds and hundreds of posts from people who were upset with it. But, yeah, as I'm coming away from it, I'm not as upset or angry as I was at the time. Okay. But, yeah, at the time I wasn't very happy because it was just like, what the hell is going on? Because no one knew what was going on. And it wasn't the staff's fault. They All the volunteers who were helped, they did what they could, but they just didn't know. And it was just too big, too many people. But people were queuing up from four in the morning. And I've never seen that as Supernova on Armageddon. No. Uh, so they did something right. Oh, they did a lot right. And hopefully they've learnt and it'll be even better next year. Something they didn't have was wrestling, which, I'm, I'm, you know, we're both ex-wrestlers and I do like wrestling, but it sort of gets in the way. <laughs> It does, because I know when we went to Armageddon, the wrestling ring was kind of in a corner and they they kept it away from it. And I've heard stories as well from like previous supernovas where the wrestling ring's been like smack bang in the middle of the room. And I don't know, re- wrestling's a bit of an acquired taste. It's I mean, like people get into it and stuff, but I know, I mean, the wrestlers aren't putting their best shows no. on because they don't care. And the crowd don't care. They'll watch it because it's colour and movement. But it's I don't know if there's a benefit or a bonus anyone gets anything out of it. It's a weird one. I mean, it's something different. And they have a bit of fun. I mean, I suppose if you've never seen a local wrestling show before, you might get enough going, oh, I might go check it out. That was pretty good and go off and see something. I guess it's only that we've seen what a good wrestling show can be and that's not a good example of it. No. But I must say, with the cosplay, I know I drag you to the cosplay competition at Armageddon and I warned you that it's going to be a bunch of people in anime costumes doing skits about this show that are very specific that we won't get yeah. and it was, and it was. 80% of that <laughs> and I sort of did the same again this time I said oh we'll go see the cosplay competition just warning you to this friend of mine that that's going to be the case and it wasn't and I think people embraced the Comic Con there were some anime costumes around there yeah. But it was majority comics. Well, that's good. So yeah. it had a different tangent and different feel to it. So it was really cool. So, yeah, I've come away with better feelings about the whole thing than well, other type things like that. It was it was a very annoying morning. Yeah. But by the afternoon, it was okay. Once I seen the Stanley panel, everything was cool. That's good. Well, speaking of comics, I know I've been reading a little bit of some DC stuff lately. We've talked previously about Earth 2, which I'm still reading, which is good. I've been reading a little bit more of the Before Watchmen, despite the fact that we kind of said it was unnecessary last month. Well, I mean, I I think it's unnecessary. It's someone who read Watchmen years ago, and that's the book. It's an amazing book. A lot of good stuff's come out since, but it's a very groundbreaking, important comic. Whereas, I mean, you're new to comics, so everything's sort of like, oh yeah, whatever. It's another yeah. book. And, and I've been I've read a lot of the issue ones of the Before Watchmen. I haven't actually gone back to read any of the issue twos yet because I think the issue two of Minutemen's just out now. Inspectors yeah. this week, Silk Silk. Yeah. Well, Silk Spectre was actually the best one of the bunch, I think, for my opinion anyway. Mm-hmm. But something else I did pick up an issue one of was the new reboot of the He-Man and the Masters of the Universe comic. Now, there's two, isn't there, coming? There's one there's, by Jeff Johns and this there was, is... Like... There's one that's online only. Yeah. And I picked that up a little while ago now, probably three, four weeks ago. Yep. And I wasn't that impressed with that one. Mm-hmm. Purely for the fact that all the characters in it were new made-up characters. There was no none of the real Masters of the Universe characters in it. And I think that's going to run as an aside to the main one. Okay. Whereas the main one is uh, this is the one by Robinson. Yeah, the one yep. the one by Robinson is going to be the same artist, same writer the whole way through. Yep. Whereas the the online one, it's different artists, different writers. So single contained. Yeah, stories. It's basically okay. little little almost little prequels, I guess, to other characters and other people in the universe. Interesting. The artwork in that one was nice. It was it was okay, but it didn't grab me purely for the fact that it didn't have your He Man or your Skeletor in. Whereas the proper one that's just come out now was mainly about Prince Adam and spoilers if you haven't read it but the fact that they'd kind of told us what this story was going to be before the issue came out it was a little bit of a letdown but the art welcome was nice. to modern comics well it's that's not true. self it's all built for the trade now so yeah. you've got six issues are going to be six or four to six issues will be the story yeah so this is just the prelude to the rest of the story unfortunately yeah but it, it was good like beast man i thought was a great character 
and they used him well. Whereas in the cartoons when we were kids, Beast Man was always like the bumbling henchman. But yeah. they actually, you know, made him a bit kick ass. I, know, I just don't. Yeah, I mean, I read it on your iPad and I just didn't care. Like, I don't know. I mean, I was a big fan. I had the toys and I watched the cartoons as a kid, loved it. And, but don't care. Like, it's almost weird that, like, the cartoons, the canon for me, I don't know. I don't want to know what happens outside of that. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. My team man story's been told. I don't need to know anymore. Unless I hear Ray reviews, I'm not going to. Yeah. follow it up it, it's strange because like as a child I was a massive Master of the Universe fan like I, I would watch it on TV and back in the days before I had a video I would like audio tape them and I would <laughs> listen to them later on my, like, on my cassette player and reimagine watching the shows and I had like almost a full set of figures I had Castle Grayskull I was massively into it and obviously the people now that are behind the comics I think are in that same Same sort of age group yeah that they liked it when they were kids and now they're giving us an adult version which is weird because there's not a lot of licensed comics out there anymore there are but it's G.I. Joe Transformers He-Man because obviously the creators are our age and they they want to write but what got me into comics first what I bought were Transformers comics because I love the cartoon and that was once a week on tally and you only had so many episodes a year it's like where else can i get transformers fixed comics once a month i get a new comic and that was the first thing that got me into comics it wasn't spider-man it wasn't the phantom it was transformers and there's not enough of those incentives to get people into comics anymore like yeah. there's really good comics like saga is really good yeah but it's not gonna no one's gonna go in to a news agent because they just don't have them for sale anymore you gotta go to a comic shop yeah but what's gonna bring people in so i mean there's no equivalent to transformers transformers and he-man are still old like kids aren't gonna go i want to ride that he-man comic hope they do I hope But there's no cartoon out there to, to fill the want to read He-Man. Like, yeah, when you're yeah. looking at all these books on the shelf, why yeah. is He-Man sticking out? So, I mean, what you need now is a Ben 10 comic to get people into comics. Well, there are Ben 10 comics, but they're, they? they're not good. And they're not know. in your league of your Marvel and DCs. Well, this is what they need. Because, I mean, the guys who created Ben 10 are a bunch of comic artists. Yeah. It's a team. They're called Man of Action. It's four guys who are comic writers and artists who realised very smartly that why are we writing comics for other people when we can go and make our own characters? And Ben 10's huge. They are making absolute mint off it. So what you need is that Ben 10 comic. I mean, there's Avatar The Last Airbender comic. So they are out there. And if that's your entry level to get people into a comic shop or to buy comics, and once they buy that, that comic and through an ad in the back of that or being in the shop they'll buy something else it gets new comic readers in but I know it was Transformers that got me in Yeah. so it's sort of weird like yeah He-Man coming out now it's only for the collectors but that's all really comic fans are now are collectors it doesn't have that direct mar- well this is what they call the direct market it's the comic shops yeah. you don't have that broader market of comics in the mainstream in news agents or drugstores in America or things like that. Yeah. And that's missing. I don't know why it doesn't happen unless Diamond Distribution because they control all the distribution now. It doesn't go through the other distribution places that news agents use. I Maybe. Th- it could be because there's just so many comics now. How would a news agent know which ones to pick up? Well, I think they picked and choose. Like, I mean, you could sort of almost, like if you're Marvel, you say, alright you have this Spider-Man title, this Avengers title, this Wolverine, and you sort of go these are our core eight titles and this is what we push the universe with yeah and everything else you get from the comic shop yeah but now it's like batman there's what five six different batman books dc choose one book that they push going this is the book that we push yeah i I don't know i mean i'm sure they've thought about this and the market may be too small or people don't want to take the risk with it and maybe computer games are killing it or dvds or i don't know yeah but it's sort of like frustrating but you know the way i got into comics is not available anymore mind you on the telly the other day there was an ad you know those things that news agents have where it's like build a model of a human body or a, oh the one a where ship. it's like 99 cents for the first issue and yeah. everyone jumps on and then the second issue is like 9.99 yeah like... well they're doing it with marvel comics at the oh, moment okay. and they're doing a square bound hardcover origin sort of comic and it's spider-man first issue and it's 3.99 or whatever i don't know what the second issue is going to be yeah. but they show the picture and it's on a bookshelf and when you get each volume it makes one big nice it looks like an alex ross painted oh, okay spines all make one really nice picture and it's like that looks kind of nice. Tempting. Not that I want it and it's going to get very expensive in the end and do I really want the books in it but that, 
that'll look really nice on the bookshelf. But I've never seen those things end. Yep. Like they always have the first and second and maybe the third or fourth. But I think you've got to sign up after that and you become... Yeah. Because I, I want it to finish. You don't want to get halfway through and have no more. I think the problem with a lot of those things is everyone jumps on the first couple and then when the price goes up... They drop off. They drop off. And then because they drop off, the publishers don't produce them anymore and you end up with four out of a possible eight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is bigger than that. I mean, looking at the, the amount it did on the shelf, it looked at least 25, 30 volumes. Yep. I was like, that could get very expensive. It looks fantastic, and I mean, I want it on my shelf, but do I really want it? You know, I'm struggling to get through the comments as well. Give me a moment, it's a babe. Babe with the power. Power of voodoo. 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 Remind me of the babe. I saw my babe. Well, we've had a little bit of a break there, and now it's time to delve headfirst into the cult movie challenge that we threw out at the end of last month's episode. Are they really cult movies? Or are they just some of them are just movies you should have seen by now? Well, but yes. The five movies that I watched were Labyrinth, Princess Bride, The Warriors, Leon the Professional, <laughs> Leon the Professional, and With Nail and With I. Nail and I, which we watched together last night because yep. you hadn't seen that one either. No, I hadn't. No. And I guess all of those do get a mention on you know those 50 movies you need to see before you die cult lists alright so let's start so, in the order you saw them let's go start with right, Labyrinth so start of the month as soon as we finished recording the last episode I was all fired up and my wife and I sat down and watched Labyrinth yep, which is one of her favourite films it is one of her favourite films as a child when it came out she was enamoured by David Bowie it came out in 1986 and I think I would have been about 14 or 15 in 1986 and it totally passed me by I never saw it in the cinema I don't know why maybe I was too busy watching Highlander and Top Gun because they both came out that year but yeah I'd never seen Labyrinth I'd seen The Dark Crystal a few years earlier and I quite liked that but for some reason never saw no Labyrinth but watching Labyrinth I kind of enjoyed it bits of it were really clever I thought some of the acting was a little bit oh the parents <laughs> like we watched it again recently and Jennifer Connelly gets better as the movie goes on the puppets are fantastic but you, you get that yep. Bowie's great because he's just playing Bowie, but that's fine. Bowie's fine. And but at the start, you get this short, probably three, four minutes of yeah, with, one scene with her one scene with the mum and Jennifer on. Connelly, and she is terrible. Yes. Like the acting is just woeful. <laughs> Thank God it's over exactly. and you move on. Before we go too much further, I probably should throw out a spoiler warning. We are going to mention a few of the plot points of the movies that we watched. And if anyone else is like me and haven't seen these cult movies, they may be a bit disappointed. But there was bits in Labyrinth that I really enjoyed. And there was bits in Labyrinth that I sat there and went, oh my God, this is terrible. But my wife sort of said it to me that it is quite an old movie now. And maybe some of it didn't quite hold up. And maybe the fact that I'm watching it now as a 40-year-old rather than as a 14-year-old makes, makes a, a lot difference. of difference. Yes. But, the, yeah, the puppets were good. The design was great. There was a couple of scenes where David Bowie's crotch took centre stage when I don't think it probably should have. No. And there was, yeah, that one scene where the little gnome guy's on his knees in front of David Bowie and he's got the, the huge cod piece that I thought was a bit inappropriate. Gnome for face a... and crotch. That's all that's on screen. <laughs> yeah, a bit inappropriate for a kid's film. Yeah. But yeah, there was that one scene where the premise of the movie is Jennifer Connelly's at home looking after her half-brother and he gets kidnapped by the goblins and it's this little 18-month-old baby in one scene with David Bowie singing and a bunch of Muppets and it looks like the poor little kid's terrorised. And there is one scene where he does look terrorised and then you look at other scenes and he's totally cool with it. Yeah. Like it's, I read the trivia and it's the, one of the head designer's sons is the kid. So it's, I think it's just that situation he's terrorised because there's other scenes where he's totally cool with all these freaky looking puppets around him and he's totally cool with that so I think it's just that one moment I, I like to think it's that one moment I don't know if he's in trauma right? <laughs> he's like in therapy ever since I'm, I hope that's not the case yeah. but it is a quite confronting thing to watch like I mean as few as a parent it's probably worse Yeah. seeing oh my god that kid's like really distraught yeah. do something put well, a camera on it well that, that scene was early in the film and I was still quite engrossed by that stage but then it got to a point where my attention kind of drifted it, it off a does. little bit it does like we saw it at the cinema which I think is the best way to see any film because you don't pull your iPhone out and yeah. you know do anything and it does go on a bit long for me. But then but they, they brought it back, though, with the Escher staircase scene. Even back then, the effects would have been hard to do. It would have been 
It's all practical. Yeah, except for there's one computer thing. scene with the owl flying and it looks terrible. And that's the only thing that's dated. Yeah. Everything else looks great because it's real. Hmm. Well, the second movie that I watched was The Warriors, mm-hmm. which was a 1979 cult classic. That's yeah, weird. I mean, cult only the fact that people who should know know. It's yeah. not a one of those movies that everybody knows. It's it's a set couple of years in the future of New York. So it's 1979 New York. So it's the dirty, grimy, unsafe New York yeah. that we all heard about that isn't there now post Giuliani and it's based on a Greek legend of troop of um, warriors that were behind enemy lines and they're trying their hardest to get through an army to get back to safe lines and the idea of the warriors is it's a guy called Cyrus which is a gang leader he's pulled all the gangs of New York and he wants eight representatives from every gang to meet in a park and basically wants to a call to arms to all the gangs saying there's a hundred thousand of us there's only twenty thousand police in New York we can take over this city and then the cops turn up Cyrus gets killed and the warriors gets, get gets, framed yeah gets pinned on the warriors and they have to get from the top of New York like um, Manhattan all the way down to Coney Island with everyone on their tail and it's it's kind of cool and interesting yeah we watched the 2005 special edition release of the movie rather than the original 1979 one so it had been digitally remastered it had some pretty cool comic inspired transitional scenes in it and yeah there was lots of bits in it that when I watched it I was like oh I I know that like I'm a big fan of Populate itself I know Mitch's as well Mm. and one of their big songs was Can You Dig It and they've sampled Cyrus's Can You Dig It from the start of the movie and I was like oh that's that and then and that song starts with let's get down to it boppers which is from there's almost a narrator of the, the movie where there's a DJ playing music and she's actually telling people via the radio where the warriors are in Manhattan so they can go and get them so she's doing this just typical radio hosting but by giving out clues as to where they are and yeah. but one of the things she says is let's get down to it boppers which is the, the boppers opening. are one of the other gangs aren't they? Mm, I think so yeah so it's just like, as a, as a fan of the song, for years, not knowing this movie yeah. is related to it at all, I was like, oh my God, I know that. I was like, and kind of interesting though, there's one bit where the DJ plays, I think it's Keep On Running or something. Nowhere like to that. Run. Nowhere to Run. And she basically goes, oh, this goes out to the Warriors. This is for you. And in the NWA 100 Miles and Running video, they have almost the identical bit. There's like a DJ saying, this goes out to the, the Compton gang on the street sort of thing. And they play like Nowhere to Run to or one of those type songs. And it was like, oh, that's, that's that as well sort of thing. But the thing I really loved about the Warriors is just the symbolism of it. The fact that there's all these gangs and all of the gangs have a very specific sort of look to them. I mean, yeah, it's sort of weird. I mean, there's one that look like mimes, literally like French mimes, which is ridiculous. They don't yeah. want to be that... I mean, they're kind of scary, but not in an intimidating way. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Baseball Furies are my favourite of the gang. Yeah, so it's a gang that look like they're wearing Yankees baseball outfits, but with almost Kiss-style face paint, yeah. carrying baseball bats. And it's just... Visually, it looks fantastic. Like, it's it's a very grounded, gritty New York-looking movie. Yeah. But all the gangs have their unique style yeah. about them. And then there was that gang that were on roller skates. Yeah, and they had and a... <laughs> the fight scene in the toilets, um, subway yeah. toilets where these guys on roller skates are attacking the warriors and it's like if you're going to run up to someone or skate up to someone on roller skates they're going to punch you and you're going to roll over and fall <laughs> over it's like it didn't make any sense no it was just visually it was interesting but, um, yeah I enjoyed the warriors quite a bit so it's I worth would, it I would recommend it to people that haven't seen it and I know we watched that one together and by the end of it you were sort of flicking around on your iPad looking at warriors merchandise yeah I wanted to buy a baseball figure action figure <laughs> Yeah, and they had some pretty good collectibles based on the Warriors. And you went to buy the game. Yeah, and then we, we there are two games that were released based on the Warriors. There was one for like PS2 and the original Xbox. Which is based on the movie. I think it's a little bit before the movie than a reenactment of what happens in the movie at the end of the game. And then there's also a, an XBLA version side-scrolling beat-em-up that I downloaded the demo of after we watched and the movie. And deleted quite quickly. And yeah, that was terrible. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody. Yeah, that so. was the Warriors. Yeah, and then after that, probably my favourite pick of our cult movie challenge and something that, as I mentioned last month, that the Action Figure Blues podcast did a review of a statuette of Leon, the main character, and they talked so lovingly about that figure and how much it related to the movie that I thought to myself, well, I've got to watch this movie. And by far, Leon was my favourite of the movies that I watch. It's Luc Besson, who's a French director, directing a movie in America with Jean Reno in the main character and a 12 
12-year-old Natalie Portman and possibly one of the best ever performances by Gary Oldman as like the bad guy of the film. And I can't rave enough about Leon. I just thought it was so good. And it was one of those movies where something that I haven't done in a long time, I actually sat there and watched all of the movie without getting distracted and having to go look at the iPad or do something else while I was watching the film. I mean, it's been years. I saw it at the cinemas when it first came out. Loved it. I thought Natalie Portman was kind of special at the time. Not in a dodgy way, <laughs> but you could just tell there was something there. Like she was, for a 12 year old actress, she was almost, you look at Jodie Foster and Taxi Driver or whatever. Yeah. It's like this girl can act and you want to, you want to follow this career kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved it at the time. I've never gone back. And I think it's that whole factor of there's so many things I haven't seen. Yeah. I don't have time to go back and rewatch other things. Yeah. I, you're making me want to see it again. The whole concept though, it's quite an interesting concept that Jean Renault is the hitman and he takes on the 12 year old girl as his apprentice sort of thing and there was just so many scenes in it that could be just so wrong but they kind of were like I, I watched the extended cut which was the two hour version rather than the, the shorter one that was the original cinema release and reading the wiki afterwards they were, they were talking about some of the scenes that they cut out and I can kind of see why they cut them out like there's one scene where Natalie Portman's telling Jean Renault that she loves him and, and then a bit later they sort of sleep next to each other in a bed and it's like well he's a 40 year old man he probably shouldn't be sleeping with a 12 year old girl but nothing happens and it's all sweet and innocent on his behalf but now as I said Gary Oldman in a list of great movies that Gary Oldman's been in I'd say this is one of his better performances I'm keen just to see it again for him yeah I mean John Renault's great but it's a very understated performance he hardly says anything it's all done through movement and slow paced scenes he doesn't do a lot you know he's yeah. a stone cold killer but he's got his own code of ethics you know it's a, it's a performance th- purely through acting not through speaking or anything yep. uh, he's great Natalie, like I said Natalie Portman's amazing for a young actress yep. and Gary Oldman it's probably his role of his career really I mean people say it a lot that that's his yeah. His yep. best role. I'm going to have to check it out again, I think. Yeah, I, I recommend it. Definitely check it out. Yes. So well, next was Princess Bride. Yes, and from... Another one of your wife's favourite? Uh, yes, another one of my wife's favourite movies. And kind of showing her age, I think it was one of her favourite movies back then in 87 or 88, whenever it was made. But Princess Bride, to me, did not hold up at all. Well, you're just wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love Princess Bride. <laughs> when did you last see it? In the last two years, probably. Okay. I see at it the a start, lot. I kind of thought I don't like Peter Falk reading the story to the kid from the Wonder Years. What's his name? Fred, Fred Savage. Savage. So yeah, Fred Savage is sick. Peter Falk's his granddad. He comes in with this story called The Princess Bride. He reads it to the little kid, and you see the movie, which is the imagination of the story. But I don't know. I I didn't think that was necessary. That like, scene goes for like five minutes. But it's. <laughs> They keep going back to them. Like, there's bits it's where... It's clever the way they do it. Like, when they go to kiss and then they Fred interrupt Savage the scene like, and he goes, yeah. is this a kissing book? And it takes you out of that story. And you're like, what? And it's sort of like, oh, oh, you don't like the kissing parts. All right, I won't do that. The only time I thought that was good was when the princess had fallen off the boat and she was in the water and the eels were going to get her. And Fred Savage stopped the, the reading. And then Peter Fox started reading again. He reread the same bit and they showed the same bit of the movie again. And Fred Savage is like, oh, granddad, you already read that. Yeah. I thought that was clever, but the rest of it just shat me. I didn't think it was necessary. It was kind of like saying, here's a fantasy movie, but unless we narrate it and tell you what's happening, you're not going to understand it. Nah, it's, William Goldman wrote it, who's a very good playwright. He wrote All the President's Men, Bush Cassidy, and the Sundance Kids. Yeah. He wrote good stuff. Directed by Rob Reiner, and who did Spinal Tap and things, you know, when Harry met Sally. So he knows what he's doing as well. It's a very deliberate movie in those ways. Like, yep. All those things are very deliberate. In the same way, Cabin in the Woods have got very similar things. <laughs> Hard to believe, but there yeah. are <laughs> all right. This is probably the only time someone's going to compare Princess Bride to Cabin in the Woods. Maybe, but it's quite clever, and all it's all right. done. Just, hang on, I still can't get over this fact. So, are you telling me if I go and see Cabin in the Woods, there'll be large rubber rats that are meant to be scary? No, I'm not comparing those. <laughs> all right then. Yeah. It's a fantasy movie. I mean, you've got to see it as that. Like the rats are whatever. It, I, I, I don't know. I, maybe the rats. Rats aside, the rodents of unusual size. I yes. like. I thought that was kind of clever the way they called them different things, mm. but they were still giant rubber rats. But it was what eighty seven. Princess yep. Bride. It would have been a cheap film. I don't think it was well, big. There were no big stars. I mean, Mandy Patinkin wasn't huge back then. Billy Crystal might have been the biggest thing in it. And to me, I love the movie except Billy Crystal. Like he's the only one that sort of feels out of place. Like I suppose you know, even the the actor playing. Oh, I forget the name. The 
thief in charge of the band of misfits at the start. Yeah. Who poisons he, himself. Yeah. Like, he's annoying, but he doesn't feel as out of place as Billy Crystal does as the New York Jew sort yes. of character in this medieval setting. That was strange. Yeah. Andre the Giant was kind of good. And surprisingly, watching it, and then afterwards, my wife was telling me how much she loved Andre the Giant when she was a kid. But she was never a wrestling fan as a kid. She just loved Andre the Giant because of Princess Bride. And then after we watched the movie, we sat there for about an hour reading Wikipedia on Andre the Giant because my wife wanted to find out if if Andre the Giant had kids when he died. But that's totally beside the point. Well, I know William Goldman wrote the script in the 70s. Yeah. But he had it with Andre the Giant in mind. Yeah. And they never got the movie made till 87, obviously. So it went through Andre the Giant written for. It was going to be in the early 80s they were going to make it again. It yep. never happened, but it was going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger in that role. And that never happened. And they okay. finally got Andre in the role eventually when they got it made. Yeah. The problem being, he was so injured. Yeah. By well, that point, his back was bad. He could, he had to carry Madeline Stowe. Is it Madeline Stowe, I think? Is, no, it's Robin Robin Wright. Robin Wright. He had to carry her around and all this sort of stuff. He couldn't do it. He didn't have the physical strength. The guy's seven foot tall and he couldn't do it. His back was that bad. So yep. he was actually in quite a lot of pain during a lot of the film. Yeah. That was interesting. But in then after the film, apparently him and Billy Crystal were like best mates and Billy Crystal wrote My Giant about him. This is just bizarre. Yeah, because he's, only, of those in, two he's only in like one scene together. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And Billy Crystal is the most annoying part of the movie. Yeah, but, that scene is the one thing that was like, eh, if I've got to make a coffee, that'll be wet. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I was all keen to really get into that, but by the time I was probably about an hour in, it just totally lost me. Okay, I think it finishes nicely. There was a few bits in it where I don't know if they meant that at the time, but I thought that the prince, Humperdinck, and his offside of the man with six fingers. There was a bit of homo sort of erotica between the two of them. I've never picked up on it. Maybe there was I'm like just a, too innocent. I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. There was a bit where they were talking to each other and I just sort of thought, hang on, was that meant to be gay? Maybe it's just I've me. never I looked into it. No. But yeah, I, I wasn't impressed with Princess Bride. I'm glad I watched it so I can now say I've seen The Princess Bride. And it blows, goats. <laughs> <laughs> that you want to say but think of all the other fantasy movies that were around it's a very back different then. one it's no Clash of the Titans it's a different type of movie to that sort of stuff for me I think it's as much as I want to sound sexist I think it's a, a fantasy movie for girls <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, Mitch is giving me that look now. But it's it's a romantic and gays apparently. Yeah, apparently that way. well, I think it's a Conan, cleverer fantasy. Conan the Barbarian's a gay fantasy movie, isn't it? <laughs> you took his sword. <laughs> it, I just found that it was all about the romance and the swashbuckling rather than the action, which, you know, fantasy movies when I was a kid were well, the I Barbarians. Saw, with well, I saw Willow and the Barbarian Brothers. Brothers. I'd watch The Princess Bride over Willow any day. See, no, I don't know. I'd rather watch Willow. But then I think Val Kilmer's a better actor than Carrie Always. But anyway... And then finishing up our cult movie challenge, last night we actually watched With Nail and I together, which was a movie that I know Mitch had never seen before and you'd always wanted to. Well, this is something I think I should have seen. Like it was it's sort of in those, if you know movies or yeah. if you watch cinema or films, not movies. Films, yes. Films. It's one of those films and it's very, you love it or hate it. It's sort of one of those things I was like, there's only two people in this world, those that like With Nail and I and those that don't. So it's sort of like, it's interesting and I haven't seen it yet, I really should. Yeah. So I was like, okay, if now was an opportunity yeah, to see it. I hadn't seen it either, obviously, so that's why we watched it. And it's quintessentially English, isn't it? It's English as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's so English. It's a period piece. It's set in the 60s. The end of the two 60s. unemployed actors, from what I can gather. One definitely unemployed actor. Yeah. I assume I Well, is. both of them. Were, yeah, yeah, I doesn't really have a name other than I. But with now was Richard E. Grant, and he had some really good scenes in that movie. He was amazing. Yeah, but basically, he, he's a drunk, and you're following the adventures. Adventures? Misadventures? It's not that exciting. No. I mean, you're sort of making it sound like it's exciting, but it's not. It's They're in London in 1969. They're not getting any work, and he is an absolute drunk. Like, you go around the dirty apartment they live in, and it's just empty bottles everywhere. He's constantly looking for something to drink, and he's just drinking in nearly every scene. He drinks lighter fluid at one stage. <laughs> and they end up going to the country to get away from it, because yep. he's getting angry because other people are getting roles that he should have got. And it's like, you need a break, we need to go away. So they go up to... He's got a very rich uncle, and they go up to his homestead in the country somewhere. Which is 
a run-down farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. And yeah, so it's not it's not a discover yourself sort of movie. There's no and it, coming of age. There's no nothing. It's just it's not even like a buddy film because it's not like with Nail and I's relationship goes anywhere. No, it's funny because I was when I was talking to you watching it, I was saying it's sort of rem- some of the rants he goes on because he's almost dis- disassociated from the real world. Like I, there's with Nail and there's I who's played by Paul McGann and he's puts up with a lot of shit just tolerating with Nail. Yeah. And I was saying, this is very Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. You almost got the rants of Hunter S. Thompson going on as he's going through all this. And then I was reading the trivia, because it, it, it's a very slow film, and I did go to the iPad quite quickly, actually. Yeah. And I was reading some trivia on it, and all the artwork was done by Ralph Steedman for With Nail and I. Ralph Steedman was the artist who accompanied all the Hunter S. Thompson articles in Rolling Stone. So there was a connection there, which I never really picked up before. And then going even further, the director actually went and directed Rum Diaries, which is the new Johnny Depp film, based on another Hunter S. Thompson book. So there is a connection there, which tenuous as it is, but there is a weird, strange one linked in together. And it's sort of got that feeling. It's not as fun as Fear and Loathing, but some of his speeches are quite good. It's built as a comedy sometimes, and there is some very comedic bits in it. I just thought that it took a long time to get anywhere. And that's the thing, it never really got anywhere anyway. Well, it didn't, but there was a few scenes once they got to the country. There was that one scene (laughs) where they were looking for the farmer, and this guy comes up on a tractor. Excuse me for laughing. It was just a pointless scene. And I'll just compose myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just there's a bunch of scenes that are really good, and in between there's some sort of just awkward scenes or long scenes. But there was a funny bit in there because they've got a, a friend who turns up who's like their dealer or something, or just a friend, and he's kind of strange, and he had this very distinctive English accent, and he was talking about all the different drugs that he could get and this and that. And you quoted Wayne's World too, going, <laughs> that's my old lady, because he sounded like that. Going into IMDb, it is it the It is actor, the same guy. And essentially playing the same playing character. the same character. So like, I, I dare say Mike Myers is probably a fan of With Nail and I. Yeah. And they got him to play that character. Yeah. And it's, it was quite funny that it was him. Yeah. So nice little bit there. I just found that they probably could have cut out, like, half an hour, 20 minutes of that movie. Again, it's a, what, mid-80s film. And, it, and it's not a popular film. So it's not a comedy movie that's going to be, like, forward into the funeral. Yeah. So I dare say it's more a, not an art house movie or anything like that. But it wasn't, it was for a cleverer audience, maybe, and a very English audience. It wasn't for mainstream. Yep. So, so it wasn't out-and-out comedy. What it did remind me of is Black Books, very much so. Yeah. Like, Black Books is this cranked up to 11. But you could just sort of see it. With Nail is Dylan Moran. I is Bill Bailey. Uh, yeah, but cranked up to 11. Yeah. So, but it's sort of... You can sort of see Dylan Moran a lot in the Richard E. Grant character. Yeah. Which you're sort of wanting. Now now seeing Black Books, you're watching this movie going, if this has only been written as a comedy like Black Books, it would be hilarious. Yeah. But it, it's not that at all. It's But then there were those scenes that, again, came out of nowhere that were really, really funny. Like with, shooting, fish uh, shooting fish with a shotgun and Richard E. Grant walking around with plastic bags tied around his feet because he didn't want to get his suede boots wet walking through like, the moors. Yeah, the moors and shooting things and the scene where they forgot to close the gate and the bull came out and Richard E. Grant jumped the fence and was all cowardly and made Paul McGann you know, yell at the bull to make it go back the other side of the fence. But yeah, and, and again the ending, they, they went back to London they, they found that when they got back to the flat that they lived in they were going to get evicted and all of a sudden Paul McGann's character basically like had an awakening and just sort of went no I need to get out of here and do something with my life and it just kind of ended really it's like well, it was sort of natural I mean it is quite a realistic in that way yeah like he did sort of I guess coming of age or realisation yeah, kind of thing but Richard E. Grant does his little one of those type Shakespearean yeah. soliloquies and wanders off in the rain and the credits roll and it's kind of like well yeah thanks for that <laughs> It's a weird one. I, I don't know if I can recommend it. I'm glad I saw it. I got some good laughs out of it. I can appreciate it. And I can appreciate the performances. They were fantastic. Yeah. Or Richard E. particularly. Paul McGann was a bit... Yeah, whatever. But um, Richard E. was amazing. Yeah. And considering he was playing a drunk the whole time, he's a teetotaler. He did yeah. quite well. And some of the Wikipedia trivia or the IMDb trivia points about it. They were saying that in one of the original test screenings, the director was a bit upset <laughs> because the audience just Gave sat nothing. there stone-faced and said nothing. And then he realised afterwards that... <laughs> They were all German tourists and none of them spoke English. Yeah. I can't recommend it. No. Unless you really like art house cinema or 
film. You know, you appreciate good acting. And if you don't get distracted like me... Like, I, I still watched it all. It was no problem, but it's just I did have the iPad handy. Yeah. I, I think you had your phone out with it about 15 minutes into the movie. Kind of, because it is slow-paced. And I think you... Reddit issue of Saga on my iPad halfway through it as well. Yeah, I did actually. Yes. Well, it's but not like I missed anything. No. Some of the dialogue I may have missed because it is dialogue heavy. It's all about that. Yeah. It's... Thick accents. So you sort of really should pay attention more than I did. Mm. But, yeah, but, yeah, it, but it just goes to show, though, that you know, neither of us have an attention span anymore. <laughs> you know, I can't sit and watch a half hour TV show without wanting to do something in between. So. Yeah. But. That was our cult movie challenge. That was five movies. I really enjoyed one out of the five. I thought three out of the five I would probably watch again. And the two that are probably the most cult out of all of them were two movies that I didn't really enjoy. That's because you didn't see them as a kid. Yeah, I know. Well, there's two family sort of kid films. Yeah. And the other three are adult films. Well. And you watch them as a The Professional is Leon. The Professional yeah. is definitely an adult film. Yeah, well, they're adult films. Yeah. So that's what you would see. If you saw Labyrinth as a 40-year-old when it first came out, you probably wouldn't have thought much of it either. Probably not. Whereas, yeah, it's like when you see these things, and things stick with you. Like, I mean, people like the original Clash of the Titans with Harry Hamlin, the Ray Harryhausen film. I don't. I grew up watching Jason the Argonauts, loving that movie. So I get the two of those really confused. Which one's got the mechanical owl? That's Clash of the Titans. All right, that's a good one, isn't it? No, that sucks. I hate that one. Which is the one with the black skeletons that come to life? That's Jason the Argonauts. All right, so there's good bits of each of them. Yeah, it's sort of weird. It feels cheaper. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't suck. It's not, not that bad, but I love love Jason but I don't like Clash of the Titans but a lot of people because they it was came out in like 81 or something I think Clash yep. of the Titans people love it mm-hmm. where Jason the Argonauts is 69 or 67 or something yep. and it's nearly 15 years older but yeah. I think it holds up better than the newer one maybe it didn't have the budget things I don't know but it's just some of those things but it's what, when you see a movie like Flash Gordon I love through nostalgia but if you showed that to a 15 year old now yeah would they even care probably not but then uh, flash gordon was one of those movies where when we first got a video that was one of the films we originally got out like it was ratha khan flash gordon blues brothers i think were the first three movies we rented on betamax and i can remember watching flash gordon getting it out as an overnight release and watching it that night and then watching it the next morning before we had to take it back to the, the video shop mm. and there's scenes in flash gordon that i you know i can almost recite word for word because i've just watched it so many times but again, I. But if I, you hadn't seen it, yeah. and I showed you now saying you got to see this cult film, Flash Gordon. How do you reckon you need to cope? I don't know. It, yeah, it's hard to say. So it's got a good soundtrack. <laughs> you would. It's got a great soundtrack, and it's got some pretty good actors. What's the guy's name that plays Ming? Is it Max von Sydow? Max von Sydow. Sydow. It's yeah. got Timothy Dalton, Brian Blessed, Sam, Sam Jones. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> and what did he go on to do? What did Sam Jones go on to do? He was in The Spirit. No, yeah, well, there you go. Not the pilot for the failed TV attempt. Anyway. So what was his claim to fame? He was a gridiron player, wasn't he? Yeah. But then so was Flash Gordon, wasn't he? In the movie. Or am I getting confused with Buck Rogers? I don't know. No, you're getting, no that in the movie <laughs> he was a gridiron player who went into space. Yeah. In the original comic and serial and all that, he was just a guy in the future. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Obviously, I don't know the, the Flash Gordon canon. I know oh, that's the, the, thing. the movie I mean, of Flash Gordon. That's your Flash Gordon is the movie. Yep. So that's it. All right, let, let's take probably one of the biggest movies of all time, Star Wars. Mm. If you had never seen Star Wars as a child and you saw it now, would it stand up? Like, I don't know. I, probably not. I bits of it. I still love it. Depends, what, what, as in showing me now as a 40-year-old. Yeah. Probably not. Only because of what it has done for cinema, what we've seen since. Yeah. People have taken and moved on. It's fun. Like, I went and saw Razor Lost Ark at the Astor a couple of weeks ago. Yep. And that still holds up fantastically. Yeah. And but I then, told you, did I say I saw Die Hard last episode? I think you mentioned Die Hard it, and yeah. Predator? Yes, you did. Yep. The thing about seeing Die Hard again, it makes me hate Die Hard 4 even more because this is what it was. That's what it became. It doesn't. It's not even recognisable as a Die Hard film anymore. Yeah. And it's grown so far up its own ass. Watching Lost Ark again, you're sort of looking at Crystal Sale going, what the fuck happened? Because it was all practical effects. There were nice long shots. Harrison Ford was fantastic in his snarkiness. Marion was like getting drunk and punching people. It was all this really sort of cool stuff happening. Well, it was and basically... And then it became something else. It, just... it was like a like a Saturday morning action film for a later generation. Yeah, and that's the thing. It wasn't an Indiana Jones film. It was a 1930 serial yep. with modern special effects. Yeah. It was wasn't even modern story. It was modern special effects, but it was still a 1930 story with cliffhangers and doing all that stuff. By Crystal Skull, it was a Indiana Jones film. Yeah. So you're almost parroting yourself. 
and you're not getting what the true essence of the first movie was. It was sort of, and that's what I'm sort of seeing. And the same with Die Hard. We hadn't had a Die Hard film before. It was, you know, John McClane. It was just hanging out, and he got stuck in an awkward situation. Yeah. It escalated to Die Hard 4, where he became fucking James Bond. Yeah. It was just so ridiculous, and it became a parody of itself again. Well, even in Die Hard 2, he's kind of like, oh, how can this happen to the same person again, sort of thing. Well, I mean, the problem with Die Hard movies is... They were plots of other books that people thought, this kind of sounds like a Die Hard movie, so they yeah. shoehorned John McClane into it. I never really got over the first Die Hard that he spends majority of the movie barefoot. It's a plot device. I know, but it's kind of like he walks over broken glass barefoot and it hurts his feet to start with, but then there's no real mention of it for the rest of the movie. Well, he's picking glass out of it in one scene, no, and then he wraps them up in bandages, and then just adrenaline. Maybe, maybe he should thing. have tied plastic bags around his feet. I think <laughs> with that one eye. Yeah, so it's sort of weird. So again, with Star Wars, it was, again, a 1930s sort of serial. Star Wars was a very basic film in that way. It looked fantastic for its time. I think it still looks great now because of nostalgia. Yeah, Empire still holds up. Oh, amazing Empire for sure is the best one of so the trilogy. Looking back and going, if I saw that now, I don't know. Only because so many things have been influenced by it. Have they improved on it? Mm-hmm. What we've seen since, therefore, my judgment would be different. It's Star- hard to say. Was Star Wars a kid's film? Like, yeah. what was its target audience? I think it was a B-movie. Like, yeah. I think it was just a bit of fun. Like, there was no swearing, there was no boobs, there was no nothing like that. So it wasn't It wasn't a mature film in that way. Yeah, it had to be kids. It didn't have toys in mind. Toys came later. He didn't make it thinking we can sell toys. And that's the problem with Star Wars movies now, was once it became a marketing success, yeah. it was how do we monetize this movie outside of the movie, where Star Wars was just a movie. Yeah. It was... One man's vision and a bloody good one. Where, yeah, where by the time you get to the last, the prequels, it's, it's, yeah, it really crawls up its own ass and becomes, again, a parody of a Star Wars film because it's trying to tie into itself too much without telling a good story. It's trying to be referential. And yeah, it just didn't need a lot of the stuff that. Hmm. And we've definitely gone over. So probably got time to go. Yeah, we've we've talked um, about our cult movies. We've talked about other cult movies that we probably shouldn't have been talking about. And as usual, we've gone on lots of tangents and our research department probably let us down a few times. But that's the podcast. Again, if you like what you hear, give us some feedback. We actually did get one piece of feedback on iTunes back in March that I forgot to mention and I repeatedly forgot to mention on the podcast. But thank you to BP Gamer for our one and only iTunes feedback. So if I mean, you this, are We are only checking the Australian and the American iTunes. So if you are in Bolivia, we haven't checked the Bolivian iTunes because it is country-centric. So please email us on the webpage because we've got more chance of seeing it. But a five-star, any star uh, iTunes, <laughs> choose review would be much appreciated because we know people are listening so that'd be great yeah yeah send us some feedback you can drop us a line on our email which is the ma podcast at gmail.com or just go to our website which is the ma podcast at podbean.com you can download the episodes we put up some photos after our last episode of our dj night and yeah leave us some feedback tell us what you think maybe tell us some movies that you really love and if we haven't seen it we'll make the effort to go and watch them or tell joe that he's wrong about the princess bro yeah definitely i'm open to suggestions Alrighty, well that's a good place to leave it so We'll see you next month. Catch ya. Okay, let's get down to it, boppers. Mm-hmm.